we have a crisis in the world, tremendous crisis, and also crisis in our consciousness, in us. I see the urgency of change, radical revolution, mutation in the mind. I see it. It is necessary. There is complete quietness of the mind, and that which is silent has vast space. Only then that which is nameless comes into being. This is Urgency of Change, the Krishnamurti podcast. Ambition is the same, whether it is in the world or turned towards God. Hello and welcome to episode 91 of Urgency of Change. Each weekly episode in this season of the Krishnamurti podcast is based on a major theme of the philosopher's talks, such as freedom, self-knowledge, beauty, intelligence and meditation. Extracts from our archives have been carefully selected to represent Krishnamurti's different approaches to each of these universal and timelessly relevant themes. This week's theme is ambition. Upcoming themes are fear, conflict and anonymity. This podcast is brought to you by Krishnamurti Foundation Trust. Please see our official YouTube channel for hundreds of video and audio recordings of Krishnamurti's full talks and shorter extracts. We are a non-profit charity and rely on your support to continue to preserve and make Krishnamurti's work available. If you enjoy our podcast, please consider leaving a review wherever you listen to podcasts. This week's episode on ambition has four sections. The first extract is from Krishnamurti's first talk in London, 1962, titled Denying ambition totally. Only a mind that is really free from all conflict, which means from all psychological problems of any kind, it's only such a mind that can be free and to find out if there is something beyond. beyond all thought, beyond all feeling. So, our problem, essentially as far as one can see, not how to acquire more money, not how to stop the atom bomb, or to join the common market or not. Those are not real deep problems. Those will be shaped and controlled by historical events, by innumerable pressures of various sovereign governments and societies and religions. But if one is capable of abstracting oneself from all that, not withdrawing, not becoming a monk or a nun, but actually understanding its whole significance and to find out for oneself if it is at all possible to be completely free from the psychological structure of society, to be free of ambition. And it's a very difficult thing to be free from ambition. Ambition implies the more The more implies time. Time means arriving, achieving, 
to deny time is to be free of ambition. Not the chronological time that you can't deny, then you will lose your bus. But the psychological tribe which we have created for ourselves in order to become something inwardly, to deny that, which means really to die to tomorrow. Without despair, You know, the clever people, the intellectuals, have examined all this, the outward processes. They have examined the churches, the beliefs, the dogmas, the saviours. And after examining, they are in despair. And out of despair, they have a philosophy to accept the immediate and to live as completely in the immediate as possible, <coughs> in the now. I don't mean that at all. <coughs> that any materialistic, any shallow person can do. That's very easy, not to think about tomorrow, but to live completely today. That's what most of us do, unfortunately. We don't have to be very clever. We live for today. That today is extended into many tomorrows. I don't mean that at all. I mean to, to die, to deny ambition totally, completely and immediately. That is to die psychologically to the social structure. So that your mind is never caught in time, in ambition to be something or not to be. You know, death is a marvellous thing. And to understand death requires a great deal of insight. Which we'll discuss perhaps in one of these talks. But to die naturally to ambition without effort, to deny envy, envy which implies comparison, in which there is success, the more you have more and I have less. You have more knowledge and I have no... I'm ignorant. To end this comparison, totally, completely, <coughs> and one can only die totally to that kind of envy, ambition, competition, only when you are capable of looking at it completely, without any distortion. And there is distortion if there is motive. When you want to deny ambition in order to be something else, you are still ambitious. That's not denial at all. When you renounce with a motive, it is not renunciation. 
and most renunciations have behind them this motive to be, to achieve, to arrive, to find. So it seems to me we are becoming more and more clever, becoming more and more informative. Words, ideas, theories, knowledge fill our minds. We are brought upon them. And there is very little empty space which can, from which there can be, something can be seen clearly. Because it's only the empty mind, not the dull mind, not the mind that's crammed with a lot of information and knowledge, not the mind that's incessantly active, seeking, groping, asking, demanding, but a mind that is empty. It doesn't mean blank. That's an extraordinarily difficult thing to be, to have, to to be aware of an empty mind. Because it's only in that emptiness there is understanding, it's only in that emptiness there is creation. But to come to that one has to deny the whole social structure the psychological social structure. Of power, position, prestige, fame. It's comparatively easy for older people, at least superficially, to deny power, position, or not to be ambitious. But still it's very superficial, those denials. That's why it's very important to understand the unconscious, to understand it, not to examine it. You can't examine with a positive mind, with an educated mind, with a mind that is analyzing something of which you don't know which is hidden. If you examine that which is hidden, the unconscious, by the conscious process of analysis, then you are bound to create conflict. The second extract is from the sixth talk in Sanin, 1981, titled Where There Is Ambition, Can Love Exist? Where there is motive, can love exist? And where there is Ambition, whether in the physical world or in the psychological world, ambition to be on top of everything, to, ha- to be a great success, to have power, religiously or physically, where there is aggression, competitiveness, jealousy, can love exist? Obviously not. But yet we recognise it cannot exist and yet we go on.
look what happens to our brain when we are playing such kind of tricks. I say I love you. I have a motive behind that love. I am ambitious. I want to be spiritually next to God, especially on His right hand. <laughs> I want to be, I want to achieve illumination, you know, all that deception. You cannot achieve illumination. You cannot possibly achieve that which is beyond time, but that is our constant endeavour, psychologically. So I am ambitious, competitive, conforming, jealous, fearful, hating, all that is going on psychologically, inwardly. Either we are conscious of it or deliberately avoiding it. And yet I would say to my I say to my wife or father, whatever it is, I love you. So what happens when there is such deep contradiction. In my life, in my relationship, how can that contradiction have any sense of deep integrity? You are following on? And yet this is what we are doing all till we die. So can there be no ambition and yet live in this world? Go to the office, factory, being a shop steward, oh that may not know, you may not know that word. In England, the ambition of a guru, you understand? Can one live in this world without ambition, without competition? Look what is happening in the outward world. There is competition between various nations which is taking place. Please look at it for God's sake, what is happening in the world. The politicians are competing with each other, economically, technologically, in the instruments of war, they are competing and so destroying ourselves. We allow this to go on because we are also inwardly competitive. And we realize the politicians are never going to solve a thing. But we are, if we are totally responsible for ourselves and have this deep integrity. then will affect the consciousness of the world. As we pointed out, a few of us are really understand this whole movement of what we have been talking about for the last sixty years, and few of us are really deeply involved and have brought about the end of fear, sorrow and so on, it will affect the whole of man, 
consciousness of mankind. We are doubtful whether it would affect the consciousness of mankind. Hitler's have affected the consciousness of mankind, right? Napoleon, the Caesars, the butchers of the world have affected mankind, and also the good people have affected mankind. I mean good people, not respectable people, but the good being those who live a life wholly, not fragmented. And the great teachers of the world have affected human consciousness. Individuals have affected human consciousness. But if there were a group of people who were understood all this, what we've been talking about, not verbally, but actually living that life with great integrity, then it'll affect the whole of the whole consciousness of man. This is not a theory. This is an actual fact. Because great warriors have affected mankind. Right? If you understand that simple fact, you will see it goes right through television, newspapers, everything is affecting the consciousness of man. So, love cannot exist where there is a motive, where there is attachment, where there is ambition and competitiveness. And love is not desire and pleasure. Just feel that, see it. And also, what is the relationship between human beings when death occurs, when death takes place? Right? We're going to let's talk about it together. Because we are doing we are going to all this in order to bring about order in our life. Right? Order in our house, which has no order, where there is so much disorder in our life, and without establishing deep an order that is whole, integral, meditation is, has no meaning whatsoever. See the logic of it, right? Because if my house is not in order, I may sit in meditation, hoping through meditation I'll bring order. But what happens when I'm living in disorder and I meditate? I have fanciful dreams and illusions and all kinds of nonsensical results. 
but a sane man, intelligent, logical, must first establish order in daily life. Then we can go into the depth of meditation together. And the meaning of that meditation, the beauty of it, the greatness of the, the width of it, and so on. The third extract is from Krishnamurti's first talk at Brockwood Park in 1973, titled Ambition is a Waste of Energy. I'm ambitious. I'm not, but I'm taking that. I'm ambitious. I want to be something in all, you know. That's a fact, if I am. Before, I wanted to fulfil my ambition. I became brutal, ruthless, self-pursuit of self-fulfilment, bitterness, frustration, all wastage of energy. And ambition is cultivated in this culture. And I am ambitious, with all its conflicts, frustrations, bitterness, anger. You know that, you all know it very well. I realise I am ambitious. There is no division between the observer and the observed, right? There is only ambition. Can the mind remain with that? That is, can the mind not escape from it, try to transform it, try to deny it or suppress it, but to see exactly as it is? Then what takes place? As long as there is a way out, as long as there is <coughs> the desire to overcome it or to rationalise it or to suppress it, there is conflict. But when all that ceases, because the observer is the observed, then is there ambition at all, or a total summation of energy? And no longer called ambition. You understand what I'm talking? No longer this pursuit of its fulfilment. Are we sharing this together? Not as an idea that we're hopeless, but as an actuality. Take your own ambition, take your own whatever it is, look at it, see all the implications involved in it. Always wanting to be powerful, you know what ambition is. It's a self-centred activity. 
in the name of society, in the name of God, in the name of whatever it is. It's self-centered activity. And when it is frustrated there is anger, bitterness. And in seeing all that, which is a wastage of energy, the mind then says, the obse- realizes that the observer is the observed, there is no division, therefore there is no conflict. And then is there ambition or is there <coughs> an energy which is which has energy that has come out of this observation. You understand? It is no longer ambitious. It is. It has tremendous energy. Which we are wasting now in conflict, right? Then problem arises, how does that energy express itself? You are following all this? You understand? Being ambitious, competitive, seeking power, position, all that is self-centred activity, right? One may write a marvellous book, and it, you may write it through desire to fulfil your particular talent, or it may be desire to have more money, and you know all that business. And you spend a great deal of energy on all that. And when that self-centred activity comes to an end, you have an extraordinary sense of energy. Right? How does that energy act? We know how ambition acts. We know how self-centred activity acts. Jealousy, you know, all that. Now when there is not that self-centred activity which is, and therefore a great total summation of energy, without the me, you understand all this? Then how does it, what is its activity? Will it go and join communism, socialism? become capitalist. You are following all this? Go to church, temple, mosque, follow some guru. Hmm? Come on, sir, what will you do with that energy? This is one of our problems, please, you understand? You realize how one wastes energy in conflict, in battles. It took tremendous energy to kill people, wars. Now you have no war, actual physical war. But you have economic war going on, right? You have religious war. We know how all that energy is being wasted. Now you say, well, I have this energy. There is this tremendous sense of vital energy which is no longer wasted. What is its action? 
I wonder if you've asked these questions. Have you? I'm asking them for you. Now, how does this energy come about? You understand my question? It comes about only when it has observed what is and remains with what is. And it can only do that when there is no division between the observer and the observed. Are you coming with me? The mind has examined. what is implied in jealousy, examined what is implied in ambition and various problems, one can examine them all, Uh, looked at them, observed them, felt them, investigated them. And through that investigation and observation comes a realization that there is no division between the observer and the observed, and that can only come about, and the summation of that is intelligence, isn't it? Hmm? Are you following this? The summation of that energy is intelligence. It's not your intelligence or my intelligence or the racial intelligence, it is something entirely different. And that intelligence will operate. Not doing something silly, neurotic, selfish. And that is the real transformation of the mind. You are falling on And that involves, all this involves, a mind that is capable of observing, observing without any distortion, without any Neurotic illusions. Can you observe without any colouring? Observe your life exactly as it is. How silly, absurd. Or how beautiful, how whatever it is, exactly as it is, narrow, petty, ambitious, greedy, frightened, competitive, wanting position, you know, all that. Caught in a network of fears. Did you observe all that without the division as the observer and the observed? If you can, then really, not as an idea, actually, if you have done it, if you do it, then you will see that out of this observation comes an extraordinary sense of great creative intelligence. And that can, that operates in our relationship. Because all life is relationship, right? You can't live by yourself, though we try to. We enclose ourselves with our ideas about how important we are or how uh, little we are, and we 
enclose ourselves. It is this part of self-centred activity <coughs> which destroys relationship. So, as our life is movement in relationship, movement, not just a static state of relationship, it's a movement. And as our relationship in our daily life is so terrible, so ugly, so contradictory, such a battle, probably you know this better than I do, what your relationships are, the fight between man and woman, the attachments, the dominance, the, you know, what goes on, the sexual pleasures and the, oh, you know all this, don't you, better than And if there is no right relationship which can only be brought about when the observer is the observed, you understand, when relationship isn't based on an image, the image which you have created about another and what the other has created about you. That there is division and therefore there is conflict. So when as life is all a movement in relationship, to understand that relationship is to understand the self-centred activity which separates you and me, and therefore conflict between you and me. And that conflict is essentially between the observer and the observed. The observer is the past and he tries to control the observed, try to change the, the thing that is what is. <coughs> but when, the, when there is only what is, then there is complete change of what is, and therefore complete summation of energy which is intelligence. The final extract this week is from the ninth talk in Ojai in 1949, titled Are You Free of Ambition? So as long as we do not understand, we do not experience the thinker and the thought of one, then all these problems exist. But the moment we experience that, the maker of effort comes to an end. To experience that, one must be completely aware of what, of the process of one's own thinking and feeling, the desire to become. That's why it's important if one really is seeking reality of God or what you will, that this whole mentality of climbing, evolving, growing, achieving must come to an end. We are much too worldly.
we carry that mentality of the clock becoming the boss, the foreman becoming the executive, with that mentality we approach reality. We want, we think we'll do the same thing, get, go climb the ladder of success. I'm afraid it cannot be done that way. If you do, you live in the world of illusion. Therefore, conflict, pain, misery and strife. But if we discard all such mentalities, such thoughts, such points of view, then one becomes really humble. One is not become. And then there is a possibility of having a direct experience of reality. Which alone will dissolve all our problems, not our cunning efforts, not our great intellect, not deep and wide knowledge. I am free from ambition. Is there something wrong with me? I am free from ambition. Is there something wrong with me? If you are conscious that you are free from ambition, then there is something wrong. <laughs> then one becomes smug, respectable, unimaginative, thoughtful. Why should you be free from ambition? <coughs> And how do you know you are free from ambition? You know, surely, to be free, to have the desire to be free from something is the beginning of illusion, is it not? It is ignorance. See, we find ambition painful. And or you have you want to be something and you have failed. And so you now say, I, it's too painful, I'll get rid of it. If you succeeded in your ambition, if you fulfilled in, in the thing which you want to be, then you, this problem wouldn't arise. But not succeeding, seeing it, there is no fulfillment there, you discard it. And so you condemn ambition. Obviously ambition is, is unworthy. A man who is ambitious surely cannot find reality. He may become the president of some club or some society or some country. But surely he is not seeking reality. But the difficulty is, with most of us, if we don't succeed in what we want, we either become better cynical or we try to become spiritual. Oh, and so we, dis we say that's a wrong thing to do, we discard it. <laughs> but our mentality is the same. We, are, we may not succeed in the world and be a great person there, but spiritually we want to. In a little group, as a leader,
Ambition is the same whether it is in the world or when you turn it towards God. And to be and to be more conscious that you are free from ambition is surely is an illusion, is it not? And if you are free from it, is there any question? that you are or not? Surely one knows within oneself when one is ambitious, does one not? And we can see very well all the effects of ambition in the world. The ruthlessness of it, the, the cruelty of it, the desire for power, position, prestige, and when one is consciously free of something, is there not the danger of becoming very respectable? of being smug, satisfied with oneself. I sure it's a very difficult thing to be alert, to be aware. To walk very delicately, sensitively, not to be caught eye in the, in the opposite. Requires a great deal of alertness and intelligence and watchfulness. And then even when you are free from ambition, where are you? Are you any more kindly? Any more intelligent? any more sensitive to the outward and inward events? Surely there is a danger in all this, is there not? Of becoming stultified, becoming static, becoming dull, weary. And the more one is sensitive, alert, watchful, the more there is a possibility of really being free, not from this or that. Freedom requires intelligence. And intelligence is not a thing that you cultivate sedulously. Intelligence is something which can be experienced directly in relationship. not through the screen of what you think the relationship should be. After all, all our life is a process of relationship. Life is relationship. That requires an extraordinary watchfulness, alertness. And not whether you are free or not free from ambition. Only ambition 
this covers that relationship. An ambitious man is an isolated man. Therefore, he cannot have relationship with his wife or with, with society. And so, as life is a is relationship whether with the one or with the many. And that relationship is perverted, is destroyed, is corrupted through ambition. And when one is aware of that corruption, surely there is no question of being free from it. So in all this, our difficulty is to be watchful, to be watchful what we are thinking, feeling, saying, not to transform it into something else, but just to be aware of it. <coughs> And if we are so aware, you will find it has an extraordinary effect. <coughs> that awareness in which there is no condemnation, no justification, but mere attention, full cognizance of what is, in itself has an extraordinary effect. But if you are merely trying to become more, less and or more, then there is dullness, weariness, a smug respectability. And a man who is respectable surely can never find reality. Which means a great deal of inward discontent, which is not easily canalized through any satisfaction or gratification. Now if we can see all this, all that we have discussed this evening, not merely on the verbal level, but really experienced. Not at odd moments, not when you are pushed into a corner, perhaps as some of you are being now, but every day from moment to moment, to be aware and to silently observe and so become extremely sensitive. Not sentimental, which only blurs, distorts. To be, to be sensitive inwardly, which means great simplicity, not of the loincloth or a few clothes or no cars, but the simplicity in which the me and the mine are not important. in which there is no sense of possession. A simplicity in which there is no longer the maker of effort. Then there is a possibility of experiencing that reality, or that reality coming to be. 
And after all, that is the only thing that can bring about real lasting happiness. Happiness is not an end in itself. It's a byproduct. And it comes to being only with reality. Not that you go after reality, you cannot. It must come to you. And it can only come to you when there is complete freedom and silence. Not that you become silent. That's a wrong process of meditation. There's a vast difference between being silent and becoming silent. And when there is real silence, not put together, then there is something inexplicable. Then creation comes into being. 